Power Hour. Coal. Oil. Natural gas. Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no nonsense, no BS, no softball questions, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. This week is the premiere of Gasland 2. And I saw it last night. It's Tuesday now. It was not a very pleasant use of two hours. Uh, But I thought it was necessary, given that this is the most prominent set of commentary on hydraulic fracturing at the moment. And Josh Fox, the director, producer, pretty much star everything of this film, is probably, unfortunately, the leading commentator on fracking. Um, so I watched it. I had a lot of thoughts, uh, and I also just. But I wanted to bring on a guest uh, who has a lot of thoughts as well, and in fact has been debating Josh Fox leading up to this uh, movie, and also saw the movie and knows a lot about the issue. And this is Thomas Pyle, who's the president of the Institute for Energy Research, which is a good friend uh, of CIP. Um, we got to work together a couple of times, and the founder of it, Robert Bradley Jr. Um, you know, was an early mentor to me and is, uh, runs the Master Resource blog. So it's very excited, exciting to have someone from IER on the show, and particularly Thomas, since he's been in this really interesting debate. So without further ado, I will have on Thomas Pyle discussing Gasland Part 2. Power Hour, because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Joining us now on Power Hour is Thomas Pyle, president of the Institute for Energy Research. Tom, welcome to Power Hour. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, let's jump right into it. We're recording this on a Tuesday, and last night, uh, Gasland 2, the latest uh, quote-unquote film by Josh Fox on hydraulic fracturing, uh, came out. Uh, but leading up to that, we'll talk about the film in a minute, but leading up to the film, you had an interesting series of online debates with him. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Sure, happy to. You know, we uh, generally contribute to the conversation, uh, and our friends at Real Clear Energy ran an op-ed of, of ours that took to task um, Josh and his uh, liberties with the truth in Gasland, and then, of course, Gasland 2, uh, sort of a preview to the to the sequel, if you will, and Josh didn't take too kindly to some of our uh, some of the facts that we put out in our op-ed. He basically did a retort uh, saying not to believe my hype, um, and then of course we had an opportunity to respond again to to him uh, to kind of clarify uh, what our I'm noticing now becoming his sort of standard patent talking points on this issue. Um, he did them again yesterday on Morning Joe. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is is that when you don't have the facts on your side, you dodge, you redirect, you make sort of, you know, outrageous accusations and, and do non sequiturs and, 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 you know, engage in sort of character assassination. And really that's what it's come down to for him. Unfortunately, I mean, you have a guy who's, you know, for all intents and purposes, a pretty bright fella, uh, had the foresight to Disagree. go out and make himself well. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, you have the foresight to go out and make yourself a documentary and market it and everything else. But you know, he's not really contributing to the discussion because he refuses to to even accept the the, the mountain mountains of evidence that uh, refute almost every one of his claims, particularly with respect to the technology of hydrofracking. So. Um, it's kind of hard to debate someone who's, you know, ill-concerned about facts. Yeah, I guess, I guess I said disagree, and I don't even usually like uh, criticizing people's intelligence because it's not usually the relevant issue, but it's some combination of, of like, lack of intelligence, I mean, besides having the sense that this was an issue that he could make a name for himself on, and, and like, flagrant dishonesty. And one one that struck me in your debate with him is where you're talking about the fact that the fracking process, which is the process that is his claim to fame in terms of labeling as destructive, does not lead to groundwater contamination. And then Fox responds that, oh, this is the typical industry lie. 
because I consider fracking to be the entire process to which fracking is connected, by which he means drilling for oil. Uh, but of course, he's not criticizing drilling. That's not his, not making an anti-drilling movie, because if he did, it wouldn't get much attention. He's using the fact that fracking is a, was a new and unknown term for people, and he was demonizing that uh, technology. So this is just an example of where, at best, he's pointing out the truism that drilling can sometimes go wrong, like anything in life, and yet he's demonizing the safest part of drilling for groundwater, uh, which is fracking. And you've pointed this out to him, hundreds of people have, and he does not acknowledge that. He just keeps twisting words. No, that's exactly. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there, because that that is the disturbing part, is, is you're taking this sort of this odd-sounding name, hydraulic fracturing, and, and trying to create a sort of a, a whole narrative about it when you're right, it is indeed one very small sliver of the entire process, albeit a significant component of, of the new uh, drilling, the new uh, production that we're seeing come online. And, and uh, it is, it's scare tactic, it's, it's very sort of dogmatic, um, you know, environmental zealot uh, you know, coming out of their playbook and, uh, you know, you just need to keep pushing back. And, you know, I always tell my folks in my office, we need to keep pushing because whenever there's a void in the discussion, the other side being the sort of extreme anti-growth environmental community will fill that void with falsities, with scare tactics, with sort of emotional, uh, you know, rhetoric, um, and, and, and hell, you know, have no fury, uh, and, and the facts just sort of fall by the wayside, and then a complacent media just reports it as true. Um, you know, one other point, uh, case in point, is, is he keeps talking about this 5% of casings fail, and, you know, he's just not telling the truth. And again, like you said, he's equating that with fracking. Of course, it's not. It's casing a well, which is a completely different process. But our own research shows that the track record for the industry with respect to wells uh, that are cased and the casings, uh, the failure rate is remarkably low. It's incredibly low. I wish I had that kind of margin of error raising my kids because they'd be geniuses. Um, and, but yet he keeps going out and, and saying the same thing over and over again in the hopes that, you know, people just eventually take it for, for fact. Yeah, another thing he did, I'm, I'm trying to look up this exact quote. Did he, in his debate with you, was that, did he talk about Germany at all? as a source of solar, or it might have been his debate with uh, Andy Revkin at the uh, New York Times. Do you remember if he mentioned he didn't? He didn't bring up Germany in, in my discussion, but uh, in, our, in our little exchange, but, um, uh, you know, that there's a whole can of worms there that needs to be opened as well, and that's sort of the other big lie uh, with respect to wind and solar, but we, we can certainly get into that if you're interested. Yeah, just in terms of what, what struck me, I think it was with uh, Andrew Revkin, who runs the Dot Earth blog on the New York Times. And uh, Revkin, I disagree with on many, many things, but to his credit, he actually brings in alternate views, including he, you know, he featured my debate with McKibben, and he encouraged people uh, to follow it. He also brings up the, the completely evaded issue of energy poverty, which Fox doesn't raise. But if you've heard this kind of thing, he, he cites this statistic about his, his explanation for how it's okay to ban all drilling, which, you know, mind you, is the, what creates the lifeblood of civilization, is that he says Germany got 50% of their energy this year from solar, by which he means that there was a Saturday when there was no industrial activity where their accounting department attributed 50% of the electricity on the grid for one hour, mind you, uh, to solar, and that, that's what quali this is what qualifies as thinking, and this is his justification for shutting down the foundations of industrial civilization. Yeah, well, that, that's another example uh, of, of them distorting the facts and picking, you know, picking a sliver of data. I mean, you look at the, the amount of energy that, we produ uh, that is produced in this country, the total amount, 82% com 82 comes from three sources, coal, oil, and natural gas. Renewables count for six, and of that, of course, hydro is the vast majority. New, uh, wind and solar combined come in at, at, at two or less, and you cannot replace 82% with two or less. It's just impossible uh, from a you know, physics standpoint. 
Um, and if you look at what's happening in Europe, at least 10, I think nine or 10 countries are dramatically scaling back their myriad of, of giveaways and subsidies and handouts for wind, solar, renewable industries because it's bankrupting these nations. Germany just announced that they're going to be completely divested of their failed experiment in solar by 2018 because it's bankrupting them. Um, and they're not producing any energy from it. So, you know, we're not against any energy source. We're against the government coming in and trying to pick amongst the losers um, and, and basically come in and spend our taxpayer money propping up not the R&D, not the, you know, sort of emerging technologies um, research, but the production. That, that's, I mean, they're paying people to produce the energy, you, you, if you produce it, we will pay you. It'd be like saying, you know, if we, if we do a paper and release a, a new study, the government's going to give me a tax credit for, for me doing my job. Um, and it's just, it's just a terrible way to, um, to do business, uh, even for the government standard. Yeah, and of course, the, also the, you know, 2%, 82%, but this is not an emerging promising 2%. This is a, a parasitical 2% that depends on the, the 82%. I like to think of it as essentially, you know, Apple Computer talks about, oh, we're adding all this quote-unquote renewable. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, which renewable is code for unreliable since they're against hydro uh, most of the time. So we're adding all these unreliables to our network. And look, we're still in existence, which is pretty much like saying, well, we can hire a bunch of bums who are unproductive and unreliable, and we won't get bankrupt. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you can fill the whole company with uh, bums or that you're doing yourself any favors. It just means that you can add some destruction and, and get away with it. So this whole thing is a farce. Yeah, and then not to mention the cronyism involved. I mean, you know, uh, you look. Uh, there's articles in uh, Italy. Uh, the the biggest beneficiaries of the renewable uh, scheme uh, are the the Cosa Nostra. Because they're pretty damn good at it. Like, they get it instinctively, right? Um, so they're the biggest market player uh, in, the, in the Italian government's uh, giveaway programs. And, you know, it's not as if these are new technologies either. Uh, and that's the other disturbing part. I mean, people uh, keep saying, well, we're, we're just on the cusp here. You know, we're going to turn the corner and then we're going to all of a sudden produce all of our energy from these these two sources, wind and solar, namely, I pick on them a lot because they're getting the largesse of, the, of our money, our taxpayer money. They've been around for hundreds of years. Windmills were what they used to, to turn the mills to make the, you know, it was the early industrial process, and it got replaced by something that was better, more efficient, more reliable, and now we're coming back to it. And turbine technology has not improved. Um, and by the way, the surface area that you need for these things um, is is just not plausible. Um, you know, we we did a video recently, a couple years back now, actually, where we showed the the energy from one gas rig off the coast of the Carolinas, which is a prospect now called the Manual Prospect, will produce as much energy as if you planted windmills in the entire state of Rhode Island, uh, and presumably back them up. Yeah, and back them up with yeah, and back them up with with fossil energy, right? <laughs> so, and that's the other big joke here too is these aren't benefiting. This isn't benefiting the environment. Uh, there was a study out of Colorado that uh, Bentec, um, I believe, did that showed that the actual emissions of CO two from from the wind installations was negligible because they had to back up the um, uh, they had to cycle coal plants, and when you cycle coal plants, uh, you produce more emissions instead of just letting them run continuously like they were designed to do. So wind blows at night, and people don't need the energy at night, and then the state requires that the utilities take that energy. They have to scale it down somewhere else, and they, they end up cycling coal plants that were never meant to be cycled in the first place. So it's all a big, you know, sort of charade to think that we're somehow uh, improving the environment by, by putting these installations up. Uh, and to go to a point you mentioned earlier about these things, why, why we're, quote, picking on wind and solar, the real reason, and this gets to Gasland, which we'll get into now, 
is that these are a pretext for shutting down practical sources of energy. So it's not as if there are a bunch of innovators and we're saying, hey, don't do this. Or even pointing out to them, hey, this is the biggest energy failure of the last century. Am I on a re I don't care. They can do whatever they want with their money. Maybe they have a better idea. Maybe they can make unreliable reliable by some unspecified means. But what this is, the main thing is not even the subsidies, is that it's the pretext for shutting down. And this goes to Gasland too, which is arguing literally for no drilling. So can you give us just an overall summary of the movie as you see it? Yeah, I mean, what what you have is is sort of a long treatise about the the impact of oil and gas drilling on communities, on people, on on you know the folks, and uh, you know you have the sort of the the cast of characters of any good Hollywood movie, where a uh, the big bad oil companies in this case are manipulating people into you know being able to drill in these in these communities. And they're ignoring the the residents and the citizens, and somehow they're not benefiting from any of the uh, any of the pr any of the production, the royalties, and everything else. But they're getting all the bad stuff, right? They're getting all this terrible, terrible environmental degradation, um, and it just doesn't pan out in the real world. And then, of course, as you said, Alex, they're pointing to hydraulic fracturing, and and Josh, like you said, ignores the fact that. He's actually talking about the entire drilling process, and no industrial process is risk-free, and no uh, industrial process um, does not have some sort of a impact that is obviously you know important to be mitigated. But he just lumps them all together with hydraulic fracturing, and sort of you know plays to the fear uh, that this word, these words, uh, you know, that people didn't understand. Um, uh, try to sell tickets, basically, um, to try to to try and generate uh, some sort of a celebrity status for himself, so he can go out and preach the the gospel of of you know getting off of of this resource, which, as you as you mentioned, is is what has made it possible for us uh, uh, to, to to grow our economy and everything else. So um, it's a lot of rhetoric. It's a lot of uh, fantasy. It's a I call it a science fiction. Uh, uh, movie in my in my op-ed, and I stand by it because it's just not based on any reality. Um, and it would have been nice he had a chance to to sort of disprove uh, or sort of um, take on the the folks that have criticized him in this in the second version. But all uh, all the reviews are, are saying that it's simply more of the same. It's just uh, uh, another example of sort of a, a much longer, more boring version of the first movie. Um, and, and so, um, you know, it, it's unfortunate that it's, but it's good that it, it's part of the discussion because, uh, it, it gives people like me, you and I, the opportunity to push back and, and to really kind of have a, a platform to tell, tell the whole story. Well, we'll get into this later. And I, I feel like it saddens me that f for people to listen to content on this issue, it takes this kind of garbage. Uh, because, and propaganda, because really this is the revolution of our time. This is something we should be reading about with daily excitement, learning about the latest developments, learning about how agricultural production goes up, how food prices go down, opportunities in other countries, manufacturing, multiplying. And instead, it, it often seems to fall into, well, Josh Fox told 55 new lies, so let's go investigate those. Yeah, and, and that's a really good point, and, and it does lead to one of my frustrations, and that is um, there was a time in this country where we celebrated progress. Uh, there was a time in this country where technological breakthroughs were, were sort of looked at as, as great opportunities, and, and, and you're seeing that play out in, in places where we're allowed to do it, but you're also seeing a very organized and very wealth, uh, you know, very rich opposition uh, to this stuff, trying to provide a, a counter-narrative and, and sort of scaring the folks. Um, and part of that, I think, is is the industry's fault as well. I mean, they're just not very good at selling their product. Um, it's kind of been pretty pretty consistent for, for a long time, and, and that's unfortunate. But uh, you're right. I mean, what an amazing success story uh, this technology has been. I mean, it's bringing the United States very rapidly here to the number one producer of oil and natural gas in the world. 
um, and allowing us to to keep our energy prices low because you know the two major input costs to to an economy are manufacturing our labor and energy right and we're never going to compete on the labor side but golly we have really really affordable energy in this country in spite of uh, all of the impediments to getting at it and and that really is visible in, in terms of federal land production, which we can get into. But um, you're right. This is an energy renaissance. We have not seen uh, since, since the first well was drilled. Um, you know, we haven't seen this since World War II in terms of the, the, the value that it's creating for society, uh, not just in the drilling side, but in, in all of the, the value add that, that the energy uh, provides and the manufacturing opportunities that are affording our, uh, that we're affording ourselves, and then potentially enabling us to, to to export oil and export natural gas and drive our trade deficit down, and 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 all the benefits that come along with that. So uh, it's a it's a really it's an amazing story, but it's not being told very well, I don't think, by uh, by the uh, by the industry in general. Let's let's talk about that then, because I, I have a big interest in this, and this is this is part of you know, the work that we do at CIP is is helping uh, companies uh, with their messaging using what what we've learned and about what what actually works in changing opponents of fossil fuels or or energy in general into into supporters. So I'm curious, what do you think they could do, especially given that many of these companies like uh, Cabot, uh, Devon, are explicitly attacked in this movie. Well, I think they need to fight back, first of all, and not in a sort of generic canned way. I think they really do need to uh, to celebrate, uh, really go out there and 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 instead of the the woman, uh, the lady in black, just kind of telling us, uh, ener- you know, energy is great, get out there and 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 try to tell a, a much better story about how it's not just that job, right? It's not just the guy who drove all the way from Florida to North Dakota for an opportunity uh, to provide for his family, that in and of itself is a compelling story. But look at the benefits that this industry provides beyond just uh, the immediate ones. Look at the, the multiplier effect that the oil and gas industry has in terms of economies and, uh, and, and the amount of jobs that are created beyond just you know, in, the, in the wells or in the fields. And so... Um, you know, it just, it seems to me that they're just rather timid. Uh, I think it's in part sort of a corporate culture, you know, it's very difficult to, to get through all the the lawyers and, and, you know, all the various levels that it takes to, to kind of get their messages out. But then they, you know, uh, ought to be willing to, um, take a risk and, and get out there and, and sell their product and sell their, um, sell what they do better because ultimately, uh, it's a battle for the hearts and minds of, of voters and and the citizens out there. And um, the other side uh, can only, I think, go so long with the sort of gloom and doom. I think we're we're uh, much more hardwired to get behind a positive message. Uh, but with the absence of that positive message, then where are they going to go? Yeah, in, in my experience, one one issue I encounter with companies is that their view is that well, we un- of course we understand what we do and why it's good. We under we have a perfect understanding of it, but how do we get quote those guys to understand and, and like the public? And my view is actually that they dramatically underappreciate the big picture significance of what they do. So certainly they know more about a well bore uh, than I do, but. I don't think that they properly see themselves as leading human progress, which is really what they are doing by producing, uh, you know, by being the industry that powers all in other industries, which is the energy uh, industry. And what and so they're power, you know, they're leading human progress, and they're doing it via technological process. They're developing the best ways to transform the raw energy of nature into usable energy that promotes human life. And if they just explain that and they proudly said look this is what we're doing we're leading human progress we're doing it through developing the best technologies come you know go ahead and compete with us but right you know we're proud of the fact that we're using the best uh and we're the other thing is if you're really proud completely then you'll also be offended publicly so what i want to see with these companies is not just oh by the way we're not murderers no 
if you call me a murderer, that is offensive because I'm not just not a murderer. I'm trying to be a good person. And they should, they should, if they, if they can articulate their, why they're good, why they're progressive and be proud of that, then I think they can be offended. And, and that really makes Josh Fox into a perpetrator of injustice. He's smearing something good instead of just telling a lie about a company that's viewed as shady. Right, right. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, you know, let's face it. I mean, corporations aren't people, right? And, and so you keep hearing that phrase, and there's some element of truth to that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm guessing anyway that they don't feel like they have the sort of authority to go out there and, and, and do that to some extent. But, um, um, you know, I think that they should, like you said, they should take it to a different level and and kind of get into the emotional space a little bit because people are people they're driven by fact but also by emotion um and i think the criticism on on uh sort of the the i'm not gonna say the right because not really the right but the criticism for uh the folks that are out there making a living and doing this every day is that we don't tend to want to be um, sort of emotional in terms of our messaging and, and, and I think that that's just, you know, there's just not enough of it. On the other side, um, they're pretty much all driven by emotion and, and mainly f- fear um, because they don't really have any basis um, in fact to kind of uh, to push out there and so uh, they're, they're sort of and this is why I'm optimistic is because I think the environmentalists are getting caught you know, more and more extreme in terms of how they're messaging and, and everything is just so, so doomsday uh, that uh, they're running out of credibility in that regard. Um, and as you see these states engage in production of energy, uh, traditional energy, conventional energy, whatever you want to call it, um, more and more states are going to see the benefits, more and more politicians are then going to start looking back and saying, hey, wait a minute, these enviros have got me in a box here on this stuff, and my, my folks are benefiting from this resource, and that really is why they want to shut it down now. As you, as you know uh, full well, Bill McKibben doesn't really, isn't overly concerned about the Keystone Pipeline in as much as he doesn't want that oil to come out of the ground because he knows what the benefits are if that resource gets uh, transported to the refineries in Houston, and then we produce the value-added product here in this country and the benefits that go along with that. So for them, um, they know full well that it's, it's a battle to try and prevent this resource from reaching the benefits of these resources from reaching the folks because they will slowly run out of constituencies to scare. I want to go back to the idea that corporations aren't people because there are counter I, I like looking at examples from outside energy and outside fossil fuels to give an indication of what's possible if you present yourself as a moral and progressive industry and you're proud so if you take apple i mean you wouldn't say well apple is just a corporation i mean it is viewed as having a personality and of course steve jobs was the embodiment of that and that helps but there's no reason that an oil company can't have the same but even absent that it's viewed as a, as a very purposeful, mission-oriented uh, company. But unfortunately, these companies define, these oil companies will publicly define their mission as anything but producing oil. You know, it's be going beyond petroleum or Chevron will have the power of human energy or something incredibly vague. And yet producing oil is the ultimate thing you can do uh, for human progress. And if you can just understand that and embrace that, it's it's very... Uh, it's very compelling. I know this from personal experience because that, it's that idea that got me interested. And I think it's the enthusiasm that generated in me that allowed me to, uh, to move a lot of other people. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that um, the, the faces of the industry themselves can be uh, incredible promoters of this product and, and explain to folks, like you said, the value that they're providing for these folks. Because you're right, I mean... There's no doubt that the, you know, Apple has benefited our lives, but, you know, you can't have an iPhone without the oil and gas industry. 
Uh, and that's really where these guys should step in and say, this is what we're doing for you. But also, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about who the industry is. Um, and, you know, the vast majority of oil and gas uh, producers in this country are independents. Um, you know, you have the, the major integrated guys, the big, the big guys, if you will. Um, but I just think there's a, a real lack of understanding of who is the energy industry. I mean, I don't think it's as, as evident in in the places where they're working and, and uh, you know, producing or sort of the energy centers, but the vast majority of the country doesn't, uh, doesn't rec- realize that these are small, you know, small family, family owned in many cases, companies um, that hire, you know, local folks and, and they should definitely, I think, spend more time sort of explaining who, they are and and bring these folks out and, and have those folks be spokespersons for their industry and and show that they're on the ground you know working every day and they don't have an interest in seeing their 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 neighborhoods being you know a vast wasteland of you know industrial you know uh, wreckage so to speak so um, you know you're, there's a lot that they can do um, and I think it starts with you know having the folks who are on the ground doing this every day go out and tell and tell their stories and 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 like you said, really really uh, explain why you can't have an apple without an oil and gas company. I think that's a, that's an important uh, thing for folks to recognize and realize. Uh, so with with Gasland too, any well let's let's take the the world that you're in and that I, I'm in as well, but I'm not in Washington, which is the think tank world. What do you think the think tank world can do in response to Gasland too, but more broadly to promote this positive vision of hydraulic fracturing technology? Well, first of all, I think we, we can do what I'm doing, which is to, to take Josh on. Um, and I, In fact, I'm hoping that he'll um, uh, agree to, to a debate. Um, I would love to sit down and, and go back and forth with him and you know, I'll let him take me uh, to some of the places he's been, but then I'll take him to some of the places that I've been where uh, folks uh, finally have hope um, and have a job uh, and, and feel productive uh, and are producing energy for us. So um, I'd like to see more uh, just really going after these guys and never, I tell my staff, we cannot let any, any charge, any false could any lie go unchecked? Uh, and, and believe me, there's a lot of them. Uh, and, I, and like I said, the media, generally speaking, is, is fairly complacent. They tend to just take uh, all these things at face value and then throw in a couple of paragraphs from the quote-unquote quote other side. But um, we really do have to take them on, and we do, and we do have to be uh, much more aggressive in terms of, of sort of telling the, uh, the whole story and the personal side uh, to both the impacts of higher energy uh, prices on on different constituencies, but also the the the, the very good uh, feel good story uh, that needs to be told about this industry, because like you said, um, it is what has made our society remotely possible, um, and so uh, there's there's far greater benefits to the oil and gas industry than than any of the downside uh, that uh, perceived or, or, or real uh, in this industry. You mentioned debate. And first of all, I just want to say a couple things about Institute for Energy Research, which hopefully I've mentioned on the show, I'm sure. So I'm sure um, you know some of you know about it. Well, Rob Bradley's been on the show. So for sure, I've mentioned Rob Bradley, CEO of Institute for Energy Research. Um, I think it's one thing that I think is important about IER is that it is very unafraid of of engagement with the other side. But engage by I shouldn't say engagement. I should say debate, taking on the other side. Now that's not the only activity that it does or that is important. But uh, I was just very happy to see you debating Josh Fox and being willing to debate him uh, publicly because it's something as you know at CIP we place a lot of value on because if people are going to attack the civilization and, and our civilization and the people who are working every day to allow us to drive to the places we love, among many other things. You know, we need to make it very clear that we're in the right and that we're willing to stand up for that. And if they're not, uh, that's fine. But I think that's a really, I just admire that posture 
and I, I think I hope more people in Washington follow your example. Well, thanks. And you know, I'll give you another one too. As we sponsored a, a forum recently on um, energy subsidies, and uh, we invited the head of the Renewable Fuels Association, Bob Benin. We invited the head of the Wind Energy Alliance, the Wind Lobby. Uh, you call uh, you famously coined Josh Gasbag, but we call them the Windbags. Um, <laughs> Bob Benin showed up, and it was a it was a great discussion. Uh, we didn't want to come anywhere near us. Uh, because they're afraid to, to, I don't know, for whatever reason, uh, they're not willing to, to be scrutinized in terms of, you know, the wind production tax credit, for example, is a, is a personal bone of mine. But uh, we welcome it because if, if these guys think they're right, and I believe that they wouldn't be working as hard as they are on their side if they didn't, then they ought to not be afraid to go head-to-head with folks who have a different point of view on it. And I think we need more of that in Washington not less, because really all we are is, uh, all we end up doing then is packaging our talking points and, and trying to push it past one another. And uh, it's kind of like the wily coyote and the sheepdog, you know, they just beat each other up all day and then they punch out at the end of the day. Um, and we want to move the needle. We want to change minds. We want to, uh, to reform this place. Uh, we want to get the government out of the energy business. We don't just want to, you know, collect a paycheck um, and, and, you know, be happy with, you know, the you know, limited pro- progress, if you will. I want to talk a little bit about motive, since you just raised that issue in terms of they're working really hard and they wouldn't be unless there was some uh, sincerity. That, that's my interpretation of what you said. I, I, in a sense, I agree with that, but I think it's important to delve into motivations a bit because there are many things many policies and viewpoints that are articulated that make absolutely no sense if one looks at the big picture. So this idea that hydraulic fracturing, which is the sort of water safest part of the drilling process, that this is everyone's focus. This is simply bizarre. It doesn't make any sense. It's factually bankrupt. So the question is, why does someone uh, do this? We could also talk about this issue of a tax of carbon dioxide, which essentially is a huge huge economic pain inflicted um, and no reduction of CO2 that would matter even in these completely falsified climate models. But just, just even taking fracking, there's a question of what is going on. And I'd like to hear your view. My own view is is um, that what happens is that people, I mean, people have are, for various reasons, very strongly committed to certain uh, philosophical positions, and they're very psychologically committed to them. So uh, Fox has a very, very strong anti-development streak, which comes out repeatedly in Gasland, too. You hear just these references of, we shouldn't be getting resources out of the earth, which is just an attack on all development and really uh, all productivity. And thus, what happens is defending those notions becomes an end in itself. Facts be damned. So the facts, so the sincerity is in holding what you originally held and that can either be an idea or a position of power rather than actually looking for the truth about what benefits human life. Yeah, I, I think there's a certainly, I think there's, I think that I had an interesting uh, sidebar conversation with a gentleman from one of the more extreme environmental organizations. Um, and um, he basically said that he was very upset with some of his colleagues because they were hijacking environmentalism to preach, uh, to basically push their socialist agenda or the redistributive agenda. Um, and, and I think that there's sort of an element to that where it's, this is my belief. This is my ideology. What can I do to advance the ball? Sort of the Saul Alinsky ends justify the means, that kind of stuff. Um, and I think there's a strong element of that to this. I mean, why are they so concerned about hydraulic fracturing? You know, in the old days, before hydraulic fracturing, it was a pretty basic playing field, right? You had Alaska, you had Louisiana, you had Texas, you had a smattering here and there everywhere else. Then it was mostly offshore, um, and there was sort of a fairly easy, um, you know, uh, playing field for them. They only had three or four or five states that benefited directly economically from energy production, and there are small delegations, right, if you look at the sort of political landscape. Then all of a sudden you have this technology come along, 
enabling us to tap the vast shale reserves that we have. And man, we can't allow that to happen because if that were to happen, then states like Pennsylvania could benefit, states like Ohio could benefit, states like New York could benefit, states like Michigan could benefit, and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden you have five, six, seven, eight states that are quote-unquote energy states. Um, and so with fracking, I think it's really a, 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 an effort to try and tarnish that, tech, that phrase so that states like California, states like Colorado, um, some of these other uh, states, New York, you're seeing it happen in real time, debate whether or not that this should even be allowed in their state. And so I think that's what's driving sort of the, you know, Josh's and others' desire to lump the entire drilling process into this one simple phrase. Um, and then on, on global warming, same thing. I mean, look, how do you control the economy? You control energy. How do you control energy? You tax it, right? Or you, you put a cap on it, right, um, with, the, with the previous failed attempt in cap and trade. And so, yeah, I think there's a very sort of a large contingency of folks on, on that side of the equation who see these big, big issues as ways to sort of advance their redistributive agenda. But then you also have a lot of folks in that community who are true believers, right? They, they come out and tell you, look, we don't think that consumerism is the way to go. We don't think that we should be living like this. And so we want to prevent it from happening. And so uh, you combine the two and they sort of look, you know, kind of, kind of hold hands, you know, maybe begrudgingly, but they're, they're all aligned in this because um, they each achieve their goal at the end if, if they get their way. I think if the destructive, if the pure true believers were all that existed and they were just na- open and naked about the fact that, well, they think it's wrong to develop raw materials and resources, we should just leave nature to be wilderness, that wouldn't adopt it wouldn't lead to many followers. So they have to, they have to package that together with this idea of, well, we're actually for clean air and clean water. And I think a lot of what, what makes that possible is people who attach that for some reason and then their, their own power, we talked about ideas, but their own power is attached to it. And then their power and their position becomes an end in itself. And just speaking as someone who chose an intellectual career, I think that's one of the most unethical things that you can do with an intellectual career, which has become attached to your own power and position, because your job is to discover the truth and share it with people. Your job is not just to have a job. Yeah, and, and you know, it's a great point. And you look at the science issue, right? Somehow, and, and I'm not Republican or Democrat, or I'm not, uh, I'm just arguing that what, I'm just kind of laying out what, what the perceptions are. Somehow the Republicans are anti-science. They're sort of head in the sand, flat earthers, right, on the, on the issue of, of climate science. But yet, if you look at what the EPA is doing, if you look at um, what the Democrats uh, on the Hill are doing uh, in a lot of respects, they're really the anti-science crowd because they're sort of, they have an end goal in mind and then they, when convenient, insert a little bit of science here and there to try and, uh, to try and justify their, their regulation or to try and justify their goal. They're not interested in pursuing science to science's end because if they were, you know, the, the very nature of, of the scientific process is, is you have a hypothesis and you follow it to its, to its end one way or another, right? You don't, you know, run down a line and say, oh, well, there's consensus here, so let's stop now and let's let's just go ahead and put forth our policy solutions. Um, and so, you know, really, if if you look at who the anti-science crowd is, it's sort of the same folks that are using or claiming that the science is in, on their side on this. Yeah, and that's the, a whole big interesting topic in terms of how science is viewed. Science is not viewed as a method; it's viewed as an authority which is the exact opposite. I mean, historically, we developed science to get a method of independently arriving at the truth and pre- precisely to distance ourselves from obeying uh, authorities. And then it's, it's a part of the science is, is putting all the facts together. And there's no way you can put all the facts together and say, we should get rid of fossil fuels. It's just, it's, it's a complete non-starter, particularly with everything, even if you believe any of these models, everything we know about human adaptation says that our ability to adapt 
far outweighs any negative consequences of warming. Now, I tend to think warming is, would be net beneficial. But in any case, we just know the statistics are very clear that the net impact in climate safety is amazingly uh, positive. And so it's just it's unscientific to say, hey, I came out with a study that's based on a model that has never worked that's pr predicting that this piece of ice is going to melt. Therefore, we need to shut down industrial civilization. I mean, it's, it's completely disintegrated unscientific thinking. Well, and it's not going to happen either. I mean, you know, we don't even, uh, we don't uh, really spend a lot of time, we don't have a lot of expertise in-house on sort of the science side of this discussion. We'll concede the worst case scenarios uh, for purposes of debate and say, okay, fine. We'll take the Al Gore scenario Guess what? Not one thing that you have proposed ever is going to do anything to, to solve the, the problem that you perceive to be concerned about. And that's, that's a fact. I mean, if you look at the, 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 the mo you know, if you want to talk about modeling, but if you just look at, you know, the, the laws or the proposals that have been put out there, they're, they're, they're not realistic in terms of how uh, they would benefit any uh, sort of reduction in, in global climate, uh, global temperatures. And so, you know what? Go back to the drawing board. You come up with, you know, something else, uh, and until you do, we're going to continue to oppose you. And guess what? We don't have to have a solution, right? Because if you look at emissions in the United States, they're down, right? While these politicians are gibbering and jabbering and, and, and squawking, the emissions in this country are 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 lower, uh, and they're in fact in in I guess I, don't don't quote me here, but I know they're in the early ninety levels, which is exactly some of the the proposals that were out there five, six, seven years ago, um, and so the market is taking care of that right um, without politicians coming in with their grand plan. Well, yeah, except that in the whole issue is that they're. The ultimate goal with all this stuff is to deindustrialize, and thus the targets that they set in terms of the UN and that kind of thing in the next couple of decades are completely catastrophic. You're talking about 80%, 85%. And uh, you know, a lot of it, I think, is just, well, we could get into the whole, whole motives of that. But uh, I am wary of agreeing, I mean, to say the least, I'm wary. I'm against agreeing to that as a standard. Now, it, it, it's, it illustrates part of their motives by showing the, the hypocrisy and the, the real disinterest uh, with that. But I mean, ultimately, we should, you know, we're about producing energy to benefit human life, not being afraid of a 0.03% concentration of CO2 turning into a 0.04% concentration of CO2. No, I, and I agree with you as well. It's not a, um, you know, the purpose of the discussion is when these guys are talking about, I mean, look, the air is cleaner. Right. <laughs> I mean, you don't hear that. You know, the EPA does an annual report about air quality in the United States. They don't pout. <laughs> they don't talk, shout on the mountaintop about how the air is cleaner than it was the year before, the year before that. Right. Because it doesn't fit their narrative. Right. The data's out there. Um, it's just up to groups like ours to go out there and get it and get it out into the folks and let the folks decide kind of where they're going to come down on this stuff and, and like you said we just need to do a much better job of of getting these getting this this information out there and and we don't uh, have as many tools at our disposal but I, you know I, I i think that um the truth has a, a funny way of getting out there uh, no matter how big of a budget you have you know hbo is not backing anything that we're doing but uh, i think we're holding our own so to speak yeah for sure well with that we got to wrap up um what should listeners know about where to find you and IER on the web? Uh, the best place to find us is uh, energytownhall.org. That will get you to all of our different platforms. Energy Town, I didn't even know about that site. Well, it's, it's technically the name of our IER blog, um, but it's a, it redirects to the homepage, and it's just easier to, to spit out there than instituteforenergyresearch.org. You can find us there as well, but... Uh, Energy Town Hall is uh, a great place to find us. All right, energytownhall.org. Uh, Tom, thanks for being on the program. Hey, great talking to you. Thanks again to Thomas Pyle for coming on the show. 
Uh, one point that Tom made uh, toward the end that I wanted to address was the idea of making sure to let no falsehood go unrefuted. And I agree with that in many ways. That is, if there's any major factual claim about something good that's true, it's important that people can find uh, refutations. But at the same time, I think it's important to recognize that we need to do a lot more than just refuting the claims. And particularly, we need to set a positive context of how good these technologies are for human life that will then give people the framework to look at negative charges and both to realize that if the charge is true, it doesn't invalidate the value of the technology. And also if the person leveling the charge has a general hostility to the technology, there's something fundamentally wrong with his approach. And if you have this positive context, you can't watch Gasland or Gasland Part 2 and take it seriously because the whole thing is a giant evasion of the value of, you know, hydraulic fracturing energy technology and the immense uh, amount of value that it, it creates and it has the potential to create in the United States and around the world. So because when, once you have the positive understanding, if you see an absence of it in someone's commentary, you know that there's something fundamentally distorted because the positive is an indispensable part of the context. Whereas if we only focus on refuting the negative, and certainly IER doesn't only do that, they do a lot of positive stuff, but to the extent we just focus on refuting the negative, it allows people to get away with pretending that the positive uh, doesn't exist. So I think a lot of what companies need to do, associations need to do, think tanks need to do, individuals need to do, is learn how to get really good at telling that positive uh, story. And that reminds me, this past week at CIP, we concluded the course, The Story of Oil and How to Tell It. Uh, this is primarily for people in the energy industry. It's still available. You can buy the recordings at industrialprogress.com slash course. And uh, for a lot uh, less money, you can buy copies of my book, Fossil Fuels Improve the Planet, which has much of the positive case uh, for fossil fuels and more broadly the case for the importance of energy and free markets in uh, human life, human flourishing, human prosperity. So with that, the show will come to a close. As always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, hate mail, email me at alex at industrialprogress.net. Make sure to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash the pursuit of energy. That's my page for almost up to 2000 likes and facebook.com slash I love fossil fuels, where we have a lot of action these days. Next week, we'll be back with another great guest, another great topic. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.